Amen, amen. Well, that was powerful, huh? You didn't really expect that if you came here for the first time, that we would actually pray for you, right? Um, I remember growing up, and uh, most of the time, prayer was something that you said you would do later when the people weren't around, uh, but not actually did it when they were within earshot, right? And so um, we here at Antioch, we read the Bible and we see that, man, people were praying for each other, yes, in the private secret place and in the public realm and amongst each other. And so hopefully you were touched by God this morning. Um, well, my name's Tyler Hardy and I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch and just want to say welcome if this is your first time. And um, we're excited that you're here. We uh, kicked off a series last week called Radiant and, um, and we're doing three weeks talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, right? We're talking about the Trinity, the triune God, the Godhead, whatever form or version you want to say, but we're talking about three in one. That is who God is, and it ultimately is a pretty confusing thing for many people, right? To be like, wait, I thought there's one God, but now there's three gods? No, there's, there is one God and three persons, right? And so, we're trying to unpack that here for these few weeks, and the reason we call it radiant because we want the radiance of his glory to be shining upon us. Like, we want to be in awe of him. We want to understand him. We want to know that he is the light of the world and that he has come to shine on us, and then as we give our hearts to him, that we then reflect that same light, that we radiate that same goodness and glory of the Father. Well, um, several years ago when I was in college at uh, Texas A&M, I, one of my summers, I uh, actually had the privilege of working at a summer camp, right? We may have some summer camp people in the room. And uh, Chris Pletcher, who you just heard talking, we actually served as program directors, crazy enough, back at the summer camp. And, um, you know, I was great at the summer camp being the, like, DJ skit funny guy. Okay, so that's what we did. We came up with skits. We came up with two-week themes. So we did like gladiators, American gladiators theme. Um, we, did, uh, we did this other theme, kind of, we were this kind of music pop stars. We did all sorts of crazy. I think we did, the, uh, we did the Olympics one summer. And so it was fun. We did a lot of skits and themes. And I was great with being a music guy. We're running activities and programs. But I didn't know I signed up to speak a couple times that summer, Okay. Now, I had no aspirations for full-time ministry, no aspirations to be a preacher doing what I do today, but here I was, a junior in college, and our program director and our, and our camp director said, hey, Tyler, I'm going to need you to speak, um, I, and I need you to speak on the Sin Talk night, right? So this is a two-week two -week camp. I had never given a message, a teaching in my life, okay? I've been walking with God for a long time. But here I am at 21, first time ever I'm giving a message. So I started getting a little nervous, right? And uh, we had this deal called Roundup, which happened every night at camp. And it's where we, we did some of those traditional camp songs. You know what I'm talking about? Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Oh, uh, you know. You know it. It's in your head, right? We did light the fire in my soul. You know, the one with the bushel. There's everything, right? So we did all the camp songs. As long as it had hand motions, and body gyrations, we were good with that, right? That's what we do at Christian camp, okay? So I was good with the Christian camp thing until it was like, hey, Tyler, you got to give like a real legit message. So I like asked for like half a day off to like go and prepare for my 10-minute talk. You know, I was sweating it. And um, so I, I get there, and, 
you know, I remember, you got the illustration, right, for these kids. And so there's like 250 campers, and I remember I'm there, and I've got this, like, bucket of water, this water I got from the river, and then this bucket of mud. And I go through this illustration, and I'm wiping mud all up and down my arms and my face, showing the sin, right? It's like all the sin on me. And then how Jesus comes, and he washes it away. And what does that look like? And, you know, as funny as it is looking back, that was one of the first times in my life that I think it really went to a deeper level about what Jesus had really done, right? Like, I was doing this illustration for them, but literally as I was wiping the mud on me, and it stank. It was like creek mud, you know? I was like, I really am filthy in this moment. And yet Jesus chose to came and touch and cleanse and wash me of my filthiness. Now, I don't know what happened that night, but I think it's pretty powerful. And I think some of these campers got saved and they got touched. And for nothing else, they realized the reality of sin and what Jesus does for us. I share that because um, even though I'm 36 years old and walking with God for a long time, there's always a deeper revelation we can have of God. Did you know that? Like, it's not like you become a Christian you put 10 years in, and you get your bachelor's in Christianity, and then you're good. And then if you really want to be really spiritually, go get your doctorate. Now you've got a doctorate in Christianity, and you don't have to listen to anybody anymore. But for some reason in Christianity, we tend to do that, don't we? We tend to mature to a point of, like, no return to where everyone else is just, hey, I've got it. Right? We kind of get stuck in our ways. I don't see that anywhere in the Scriptures. I don't see that anywhere admonished for a believer. We actually always are supposed to be going from glory to glory, one step to the next. Amen? So that's what we're about here at Antioch. If you're visiting, we're always going to be pushing you for more. We want you to know more of God than you knew yesterday. We want you to have fresh testimonies from this year, not from five years ago. We want you to experience the transformational power of God, not just on the mission trip, but at home. And on campus, right? Our desire is that we would be people that are committed to him. But we want to talk about Jesus today, right? So last week we talked about God the Father, and on purpose I left out Jesus, okay? And made some of you squirmish, right? Today we're talking about Jesus, and I'm really leaving out the Holy Spirit. He's coming next week, okay? So don't worry. We're talking about Jesus today, and we did talk about God the Father last week. We spent a whole sermon on him, which is not enough, but we spent one, Okay? So here we go. We're going to talk about Jesus. So who is Jesus really, right? Because um, the reason why we're going through today, because I really believe there's a question mark kind of floating over the tops of some of our heads. Like there, there's a question mark about who is Jesus really, man? <laughs> I mean, look, I get it. Like I get the cross thing. I get that, you know, back in my day, it was WWJD bracelets everywhere, right? Like I get it. Jesus is kind of around in the South, but we don't want Jesus to be around. We want Jesus to be real. We want to know who is Jesus really. And I think we need to answer that question today, and you are going to be challenged today to really consider again, maybe for the first time, or maybe again for the hundredth time, who is Jesus really in your own heart and your own mind. I love what uh, C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. 
a man who was merely a man and said that sort of thing, Jesus said, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. If you don't know C.S. Lewis, he came to faith later on in his life and has an incredible insight and revelation of God and has written some incredible books. And actually in 1950, post-World War II, after he wrote Mere Christianity, he wrote an essay titled, What Are We to Make of Jesus? It's a great essay. And there's an excerpt out of there. He says this, We may note in passing that he was never regarded as a mere moral teacher. He did not produce that effect on any of the people who actually met him. He produced mainly three effects. Hatred, terror, or adoration. There was no trace of people expressing mild approval. Right? Another way to say it was C.S. Lewis is trying to communicate is that there is no middle ground. Like there is no lukewarm perspective. There is no uh, Jesus and Muhammad both take you. There is no Jesus is one of many gods. There is no Jesus is one of the sons of God, right? Jehovah's Witnesses would teach that. Like, there is no Jesus was just a really nice guy with flowy hair and a cool beard, right? Those are not options that he gives us per what he says. So we've got to decide today who Jesus really is, and I need you to decide for yourself. I'm not going to decide for you. Your mom and dad can't decide for you. Some person you respect, some author, some other teacher, some podcaster, some roommate cannot decide for you who Jesus is. It actually is a thing between you and him. I'm just the messenger, all right? So what does the Bible have to say about Jesus? A lot, but we're just going to talk about a little bit of it. John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's a powerful passage. The Word. Did you know that the Word had a being before the world had a beginning? The Word is Jesus, right? The Word had a being before the world actually had a beginning. You see, in the beginning, the world was from God as it was created by him. But the word was with God as always with him. Do you see, it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit in the beginning, before the beginning. He, they were together, and then they handcrafted, shaped, spoke into existence everything that we see, feel, touch, and know today. You see, God the Father did nothing without Jesus in that work. And this proves that Jesus is God. For he that built all things is God. 
So the word in the beginning is powerful. And so Jesus being present before creation itself, you see, he didn't just appear 2,000 years ago on the scene. It's like, oh, pfft. It's like, oh, finally we got around. We made like billions of people. And then God's like, hey, now we're going to finally make this Jesus character. That's not how it went down. He was before all of us. Right? Actually, and we were made in whose image? His image. Right? That's actually what we were made in his image. And so it actually says that further on in John 1 and verse 14, it says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory. Wow, we've seen his glory. Glory, and he's the only son. He is the only way. We firmly believe that because that's what Jesus said about himself. We firmly believe there is actually only one way to know God the Father. There's actually only one way to have entrance into heaven. There's actually only one way to be forgiven of your sins, and it is through Jesus and what he's done for you in his death on the cross and his resurrected life. He is the only way. There is no plan B. <laughs> But, you know, we heard about this idea of glory last week. We talked about Moses. So we read in Exodus 19 that God rescued the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt so that he could what? So that he could dwell with them. Like he rescued them out of captivity, out of slavery, so that he could dwell with them. So Jesus coming to earth and dwelling and living amongst us as people did what? It revealed the glory of God. Now, this is what Moses was yearning for, right? Last week we talked about Moses actually in this encounter with God up on Mount Sinai. He says this. He says, please show me your glory. This is faithful Moses, the man who went before Pharaoh and said, let my people go ten times, you know. And then it's frogs and it's crazy stuff happening all over the place, terrorizing the Egyptians. And Moses brings them out. This is the same Moses who lifts his staff in the presence of God and he parts the sea. And the two million plus people walk across on dry ground. This is that Moses. He has seen and tasted, but man, he wants the glory of God. He knows that's the pinnacle. Oh, the glory. Did you know in heaven, we don't need electricity? Did you know that? Because the glory of God is the new electricity. Did you know that? Like, you don't actually need any lights to flip on. He is light. He is radiant. You walk in, it's that perfect temperature. You know what I'm saying? It's not, you're not getting sunburn. It's just enough where you want to take a nap. But you're not sweating during your nap. You know what I'm talking about. We rarely get that temperature here. Some people move to other places, okay? But when we do, we just, let's all cancel work and just, it's right here. This is as close to heaven as it's going to get in this moment, right? Somewhere around 68 to 72, right? You see, the glory of God, Moses longed for the glory of God. And what did God say to Moses when he asked him? He said, please show me your glory. What did God say? I will make all my goodness pass before you, in Exodus 33, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. You know another way to describe the glory of God besides that? Jesus. You want to know the glory of God? Jesus. You want to see the glory of God? Jesus. You want to taste the glory of God? Jesus. You want to have an account, a character, an understanding of the glory of God? 
Jesus is what you should be saying right there. Jesus is full of grace and truth, right? That's what it says in John 1.14. John He's full of grace and truth. Now, what's interesting about our faith, what's unique about it, is that grace is so different, right? Because every other sect, every other religion says that you have to achieve something or earn something in order to find acceptance with God. So you want to tell a friend, what's different about Christianity is that you don't have to earn your way in to relationship with God. That's it. You can drop the mic after the conversation. She's like, that's the difference maker, y'all. It's that it is not about your works, your efforts, how many times you pray a day. It's not about how long you fast. It's not about how perfect you do or how clean you keep your house. It is not about any of that. None of that gets you into relationship with God, the almighty creator. It's through grace. By grace we've been saved. Through faith, not of ourselves. You see, grace is not a license to sin either, right? It's not uh, this permissive thing. Grace is the unmerited favor of God toward man. Grace is empowering. Now, some of us in our church backgrounds, if you have one, you may have been at a church or community where grace was strongly emphasized, right? And maybe truth was de-emphasized. Or flip it on the other way. You may have been a church where truth was emphasized and grace was de-emphasized. What I want to tell you is that our heart, our desire is to be grace and truth because that's what it says about Jesus. He embodied, he lived out, and that's how the glory of God is revealed through grace and truth. Not grace but truth, grace or truth, grace and truth. It is a coin with two sides. You've got to look at both. <laughs> it's grace and truth. You see, truth is not relative to the world's value system. It's not changing from generation to generation, right? Or what one court rules or another court rules. Or what one government office says or what one professor says. It actually, truth is not like changing all the time. Truth is truth. And where do we know truth? Truth is ultimately identified with and personified in the person of Jesus. You want to know what truth is? Look at Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It is the truth. It is both and. It's both and. You know, in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, it says, Long ago and many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Ooh, that's good. He is the radiance. You look at Jesus. Oh, he's the radiance. And the exact imprint of his nature. Whoa. He's the exact imprint of the radiance of the glory. So glory of God, creator God, almighty God, God invisible, God omnipotent, omniscient, omni-everything. That God, how do we see him? <laughs> oh, we see him in Jesus. He's the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Remember, he also spoke creation and existence. God said, let there be light. He didn't think. 
Let there be light. Right? He breathed into man. There's something about his breath. There's something about the voice of God creating things. Now, Moses was a prophet of God, right? And the prophet is someone who speaks and places someone else. Therefore, throughout the Old Testament, God chose to speak through prophets in order to get the message across to the people, right? The whole Testament's full of books of different prophets. But what's great about this is that he, what he's saying here is that, hey, long ago God spoke through the prophets, but in the last days he's going to speak through his son. See, he used to speak to us only through the prophets. Now he's going to speak through his son, Jesus. And you remember what Philip said, one of the disciples of Jesus in the New Testament, he said, hey, Jesus, just show us who the, like, like show us the Father, and that'll be enough. And Jesus says, hey, man, um, you're looking at him. Wait a second, you're Jesus. You trying to trick me? <laughs> um, because I and the Father are one. I am the exact imprint of his nature. I represent him. If you know me, Philip, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Guys, I've got to share this story with you. I'm just going to preface it by saying some of you aren't going to believe me. But that's okay. Um, because it's true. Um, a good friend of mine, a, a pastor, Travis Phillips at Antioch Phoenix. We've got Antioch churches all over the country. And uh, I was with Travis a couple weeks ago, and he shared this testimony from this summer. Um, they had a short-term mission trip of primarily families go to Southeast Asia. And they were there, and they were in this region where most people had, uh, were given over to the Hindu faith. And um, they were sitting there, and this one man on their team, he's a lawyer. He's got five little kids, and it was a big sacrifice for their entire family to raise the money and to go overseas, right, for a two-week trip. So they're over there, and one day they go to this restaurant, and, uh, and he's there with his kids and stuff, and his wife, and they walk, and they start talking to this lady, just trying to create conversation, and um, she signaled for this group of men who were sitting over the corner of the restaurant to come over. And they all kind of looked at her like, we're not going to go over there. But one guy finally begrudgingly walks over, sits down, begins talking. She says, listen to this man. Well, this man sits down, and he tells him, he says, I just want you to know, I'm a Hindu priest, so whatever you're talking about, I'm a Hindu priest, and I actually do healings on people in this region. So what do you got to say? Okay? This is a Hindu priest, which is like a big deal. So he's like, okay. So he's like, so the guy's sitting there thinking, I just need to get out of this conversation. I'm going to lose here. Like, that's literally what he's thinking. But then the song, this is no lie, in this other country, Silent Night starts playing over the radio. Silent. This is the middle of the summer. In Southeast Asia. Sigh. So his wife elbows him, says, use the song and talk about Jesus. He's like, okay. So he starts unpacking like Silent Night, you know, and baby and just, you know, whole deal. And the Hindu priest is kind of looking at him, but he's kind of just like, well, not really buying it. And as a man's talking, the Hindu priest guy, he says, stop. He said, who is that? And the man is sitting there, he said, who is what? He said, there's a man standing behind you in bright white clothing. He's holding something in his hand. I can't tell, but he's really big, and he's got this big smile on his face. Who is that? The man sitting down turns around, doesn't see anything. <laughs> and he's like, that's Jesus. Begins talking to the man. Now the man's really engaged, obviously. <laughs> he's listening. 
he, as he's asking questions now, he's curious. He mentions that his ears had this major pain for like weeks. So the guy says, well, can I just pray for you? I believe Jesus can heal your ear. She said, sure. So he laid a hand. Now, this is like the Hindu priest who does healings, right? Lays his hand on his ear. His ear's healed in a moment. He's like, whoa, just, what just happened? He's like, Jesus healed you. And he said, how do I know this Jesus? The guy shares the gospel with this guy in the restaurant in that moment, gives his life over to Christ, renounces Hinduism, everything else. The next day, they gather he gathers a bunch of people that he used to be the Hindu priest over, gathers them, they share the gospel, and the story goes on. I mean, isn't that powerful? That is powerful. Do you know why? Because Jesus is in the business of revealing himself. He is not intimidated by anyone, nor should we. He is ready and waiting for anyone. I was like, oh, man, I would love to be in that restaurant. Because he said, that guy's eyes changed and his countenance changed. Amen. Jesus is alive. He's speaking through his son today, right now, over the earth. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Now that's a really good passage if you're on the struggle bus right now. Do you know why? Because he's saying, I've actually experienced all this stuff, and I can help you out, bro. I can help you. I've been tempted. I've been tested. I actually spent 40 days in 130-degree heat in the desert with the devil on my back trying to tempt me to do stuff to go against my, my Father God, and I didn't eat, I didn't drink, and I didn't give in then, I'm not giving in now. And when I die and resurrect it back to life, I'm going to give you power so that you don't have to give in either. Which means if you actually are now a Christian, you now are powerful, not powerless. But if you believe you are powerless, you will get run over. But if you believe that Jesus is as powerful as he says he is, and listen, if he needs to show up in white in the middle of your room and freak you out, he will do it. Because <laughs> remember what C.S. Lewis said, you're either going to hate him, be terrorized by him, or adore him. I prefer the latter. See, he's the great high priest. And I want us to understand something for a moment about the high priest. This can be some tricky language here. It's like, what does that mean? We don't have these high priests around. What is that? Is that you, Tyler? No, I'm not the high priest. <laughs> but let's understand the high priest, okay? So in the Old Testament, the temple was the place where the animal sacrifices were carried out and worship was done according to the law of Moses and that was done faithfully, right? And in Hebrews 9, it tells us that in the temple, a veil separated the holy of holies, right? Which is the earthly dwelling place of God. So the Israelites, they built this temple. They had this little area right here that was very specific, this huge veil. And many say it was three to four inches thick, this purple veil that went 40 to 60 feet tall. Okay, so we're at about a 14-foot ceiling here. So just triple that, at least, I'll quadruple that, and that's the veil. Okay, so you got this huge veil signifying, hey, there is God over here. There's a huge veil separating us, 
and you earthly men are hanging out over here. Right? So that signified that man was separated from God by sin, right? And only the high priest was permitted to pass beyond the veil one time a year to enter into God's presence to do what? To make atonement for the sins of the people of Israel. One time a year. In fact, they were so scared, they literally would tie a rope around the guy's ankle as he goes in in case he offends God and dies. They need to drag him out of there because everybody else will die too. Drag him out of there and get a new high priest in. This wasn't like, hey, is it time for a curtain day? No, no, no. This was like, this was serious. This was literally the entire livelihood of the nation of Israel rested upon this moment of someone going in there and pleading with God and making atonement for the sins of the people so that God would forgive them and they could keep flourishing and moving forward as a people. So when Jesus died on the cross and cried out with his last breath in Matthew 27, it says, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Anyone know any 40-foot tall guys? From top to bottom. Which means in that moment, Jesus cries out. He dies on the cross in this veil that had been there for years and years. Just, it's like, what just happened? What just happened? Jesus signified he is the great high priest. You see, above all, the tearing of the veil at that moment of Jesus' death dramatically, dramatically symbolized that his sacrifice the shedding of his own blood was a sufficient atonement for sins, for all, for Jews and Gentiles. And that now the opportunity was to enter into the Holy of Holies for all people through Jesus. You see, Jesus understands. He gets it more than we realize. He gets what it's like to live on this earth to be tempted he didn't live in some protective bubble, right? Like, he, at, at every turn, literally there are obstacles put in his way at every turn, but he did not choose to sin. I say the word choose. Because a lot of times we say we fall into sin. I don't fall into anything. I choose it. <laughs> you know, it didn't just, like, happen, right? We like to generalize things. That means we don't take responsibility for our sin. It's like, it's like my kids. It's like something broke. I'm like, how that happened? I, I have no idea. It just, the, the glass just kind of shimmied over the counter and just, that's interesting, you know. I'm trying to teach them responsibility. No, you didn't mean to, but you did, right? Well, I, I, I didn't want to break the glass. Uh, I know, but you still broke the glass, right? It's like, well, I didn't, I didn't really mean to sin. It's just, it's like, no, but you did. And if you can't take responsibility for your sin, I'm not so sure you can really get free from it. You see, Jesus understands, guys. He showed us a life that was possible on this earth. And just for a moment, I want you to know, he was way more tempted than you ever will be. There was actually a lot more riding on his shoulders than yours. The devil knew if he can take down the Son of God, this whole plan gets ixnayed. Right? Actually, the enemy had everything after him, and he still couldn't get Jesus to do it because Jesus knew who he was. Now, how could he do that? How could Jesus actually endure all the temptations, all the stuff, right? I like to use the illustration of the oxen and the yoke, right? 
You know, Jesus says, he says in Matthew eleven thirty, 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. We've heard that before, right? It's like, his yoke is easy, you know, but what does that really mean, right? Unless you're a farmer, you probably don't know what that means. Well, you actually have two oxen where you're going to go plow a field, and you put this big yoke on them, right, this big wood contraption that, kinda, that they're able to share the load equally. And so the both oxen are able to kind of pull along and plow the land. That's what they are to be yoked together. They literally are, like, connected together by this apparatus. So when Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and it also says that we're yoked with Christ, what does that really mean? Like, so for us... Imagine Jesus is the huge ox, and you're the teeny tiny ox, okay? But he's still choosing to yoke with you, which means he's actually doing most of the work, if not almost all of it. But he does want you to chip in, <laughs> but he's doing most of the work. So how is it that Jesus can live this perfect, sinless life, although he came in flesh and human form? How can he do it? Because he was yoked with the Father throughout the whole journey. He and the Father were one. He was committed. He was connected. He was relating to him. He didn't do life. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I'm here to do my Father's business. He did and said and was in the way that God wanted him to be, and so he lived that kind of life. Imagine what if we lived that kind of life. I am yoked with Christ, which means I'm only going to go where he's going. Because when you're yoked, you're like stuck with him. It's not like, oh, it's 5 o'clock. Take the yoke off. I'll be back in two hours, you know. I'm going to get my fill. And then I'll come at, hey, is there a spot for me still? That's not how it works. You are yoked with him. But he gets it, guys. He gets it, and he wants to help you. He wants to help us. Like, Jesus wants to help us live this life in such a way that's going to give glory to the Father. And so how do we do that? What do we need to do? It says in Hebrews 4, 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in a time of need. That is good news. That word grace is the same word we read earlier in John 1, 14, where it said full of grace and truth. And as I was looking that up, I was looking it up in the Greek, and again, that word grace in the Greek is charis, right? And I was kind of trying to get some imagery for it, and I love this picture Really, grace is a picture of Jesus leaning in. It's him leaning into you. So when you think about Jesus, the great high priest, and he's, he's on his throne, right? It says right now, actually, Jesus is in heaven right now. You have God the Father. You have God the Son. He's sitting on his throne next to the Father. And it says he's interceding for us right now. But can you imagine going up and approaching this throne of grace? And, and I, I, I don't imagine Jesus doing this. Finally, you came. Hmm, what took you so long? No, Jesus is doing this. So glad you're here. How can I help? It's the same story, the prodigal son, the father, waiting for his son to return home, and he runs to him and says, hey, you're back. All is good. You're here. That's what's most important right now. That's what Jesus wants. He's leaning towards you. But you got to come to him. you got to come to him, and he will lean into you. So I want to invite the band up. What's the stand as we close today? You know, a, a picture I often think about, when I think about um, 
Jesus kind of leaning in to us. I think about my kids, you know, um, especially my, my girls. When they, you know, if they're crying, I want them to run to daddy. If they're happy, I want them to run to daddy. In fact, if they're angry, I want them to come to daddy. I don't want them to run away. Like, no matter what their emotion is, no matter what state they're in, no matter how great they feel or how terrible they feel, no matter if they've had a, an awesome day or they've chosen a lot of sin and messed up, like, I want them to run to daddy. I don't want them to run away and hide. I don't want them to tuck away in a corner. I want them to come near. And that's God's heart today. He wants you to draw near to him, to draw near to the throne of grace. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I just want to have some of our life computers make their way up here real quick. We just want to give you a chance to respond. If you're needing Jesus today, if you're saying, man, I... I've questioned who he is my whole life, or I'm not even sure I knew that about him. And if you're saying, man, I need help. I need someone to forgive me. I need help. I am feeling hopeless. He came to bring hope to the hopeless. Like, whatever you need, Jesus can actually take care of all of it. So this morning, the response is, hey, if you need anything in Jesus, I would encourage you, be bold, come up there if you want to. All these guys will just pray for you. They're just going to pray Jesus over your life and hear you out. But they love him, and they just want you to get what you need this morning. Because Jesus is available. He's available for you. He's available for every need you have. Amen? So let me pray. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. And we just ask that you would be so real and present in this moment. That as we draw near to you with our humbled hearts, Jesus, we just want to know you fully. Not as you aren't, but as you are. And we're asking that you would lean in this morning. Lean in, Lord, as we're vulnerable, as we come before you, as we're scared, as we're not sure what's going on, we would lean in for forgiveness. Jesus, help us to lean in for the acceptance in you. Help us to just to lean in this morning for help in the time of need. We pray in Jesus' name. Just come on up as you feel it.